So let's talk about happy and unhappy workers. Jane Oates is a senior policy advisor for Working Nation. WorkingNation.com is the website. And she joins us again. Welcome back, Jane. Oh, John, welcome back to me is right. And I'm so excited to, to be, here, be on your show and happy 2024. Oh, that all workers would be so happy, Jane. What's this business about unhappy workers costing businesses money? You know, John, I hate to go back and say you and I saw this coming, but we, you know, when we were talking about quiet quitting, God, a year and a half ago, uh, you and I were both talking about the impact of hybrid and remote work. And we, we spoke very specifically about the fact that they weren't spending enough time, they being the corporations and businesses, were not spending enough time uh, training supervisors how to handle these very diverse teams, some working in the office full-time, some hybrid, and some working at home full-time. So while these numbers, I, I never expected $2 trillion in, in lost uh, profit here, but this Gallup survey is pretty frightening. I mean, it said that basically two-thirds of the workers surveyed did not feel engaged at work. That is not a good sign. Two-thirds of workers feel not engaged at work. I don't even know what that means, not engaged at work, not sufficiently connected with their colleagues or supervisors, I guess, huh? I guess or not. You know, the other number in there that was scary to me was that a full one-half of the workers surveyed said they were doing the bare minimum. Now, John, you and I agree on this. That is not the American worker. That is not us. Well, that are you are you questioning the veracity of the results of this Gallup survey? No, I'm just saying it's a scary trend. I mean, I think I think whatever is happening, we need to reverse it very quickly because that loss of two trillion is productivity, and you know we now have the most robust economy in the world. We have to fight to keep that. Yeah, no kidding. Or imagine how robust we would be if we weren't so disaffected. But, you know, Tom Gimbel is a regular guest on our show from the LaSalle Network. He's a recruiter and he talks about being at office or at home or the hybrid of the two. And he's very much pro get your butt downtown. He wants you in the office. Is that what this report is saying, Jane? I think I think it's saying one of two things. Either we need to get people back more often in the office. I'm not saying 100% five days a week. But I think it's also saying we have to become more effective at managing these teams. Uh, where, because you, you know how it is. On all work sites, people say, oh, let's come in for a meeting. Well, we can't come in for a meeting if two-thirds of the workers are working from home today and we don't know how to get in touch with them. And we don't, you know, it, those, those spontaneous meetings that happen that really help your productivity and get you engaged, let you know what's happening. I think it's really hard to do that in this environment. Do I think it's impossible? No, but I do not think we're doing a very good job of it right now. I wonder what then engaging people better who are remote or hybrid, I wonder what that looks like. What I wonder should supervisors or businesses be doing that currently they're not? Well, look, I think I think there's a real blurring of what your role is in a lot of jobs, because if you're there physically and you see something that needs to be done, whether it's in the definition of your job or not, you do it right. You pick you pick something up for a, a colleague, a coworker. When you're working remotely, you really can't do that. So I think this idea of 
you know, having a clarification of roles. What are you supposed to be doing? What are you allowed to do? Where can you interact with other people's assignments? And then I think it's about coaching. You know, I have no idea. I've talked anecdotally. I don't know what the science is here, but I've talked anecdotally to workers and I say to them, you know, how often does your supervisor call you at home? And they say, well, that doesn't happen. You know, how often does your your supervisor email you and say, how's the project going? And the majority of them are saying to me, that's just not a routine anymore. And that's frightening, right? I mean, because someone should be asking how you're doing. Do you need help? Are you stretched? Are you finished early? Can I give you something else? As a common courtesy, A, or as a good business strategy, B. So I just want to read from Bloomberg. Disgruntled employees cost U.S. companies an estimated $1.9 trillion in lost productivity last year, according to Gallup. That eye-popping figure stems from... And, you know, for the big employers, they have enough overlap that that, that's not going to put them out of business. But you and I always talk about the small and medium-sized employers. If that's happening in their businesses, they could be extinct in a year or two. You know, that that kind of loss is just not manageable. Maybe then the focus is not so much on the employees, but it's on those mid-level managers. (laughs) They're the ones that need to get off the dime. Uh, I hate that sentence because I don't know, and I'm not accusing anybody of not doing anything. But if the employees are the responsibility of the managers, then the managers need to make the employees happier. Is that where the shoe drops here, the foot falls? shared responsibility. I mean, I also think that employees have a responsibility to speak up and to say, you know, I'm not really challenged at what I'm doing. I think I could be doing more or doing differently. Uh, I think I'd be better on a different team. Uh, And I think, you know, regardless of whether you're coming in every day or you're working from home every day or anything in between, you as an employee have a responsibility to not do, not be doing the bare minimum, but to do the most you can uh, for your company in your current position. I, I mean, I think it's shared. I do, I do agree with you. Those middle managers need some training. And I'm not sure who's doing that training right now. Jay Notes is a senior policy advisor, workingnation.com. Always interesting, Jane. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Philip Weiss is the president of Seifarth at work. Philip, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, John. You're talking about bullies today at the workplace. Who's bullying who? Yeah, that is the, uh, that's kind of the uh, $6 million question. Um, according to bullying uh, not-for-profits and organizations that track this kind of thing, um, three to four times more bullying takes place than even uh, harassment based on race, gender, religion, et cetera, meaning that belittling and humiliating of people, uh, not based on who they are or where they come from, but just for the pure fun of it, uh, is a far bigger problem. And according to these same organizations, John, it has a lasting negative effect on productivity, morale, and individual health. So the upshot of all that is a number of states, at least three by last count, are considering actively considering legislating, creating laws that make workplace bullying in the U.S. illegal. Uh, That's a new frontier for us, because while we've covered discrimination in the laws, we've covered harassment based on these protected groups in the laws, pure 
mistreatment based on that sort of ridicule or putting someone down has not been a legal issue, and it soon may well be. What kind of businesses are you talking about, Philip? A white collar, you know, offices or factories and plants? Yeah, a little bit of all of the above, uh, John. And, and what's really fascinating about your question is uh, when we talk to clients, the kind of actions that constitute or could constitute bullying vary um, in great part by industry. So when it comes to manufacturing or you got an assembly line, uh, there's a lot of name calling in some environments. There's a lot of sabotaging people's work at a, at a low level, but it can still be quite upsetting. Um, and in those white collar environments, uh, it might be more of a group uh, deciding they're going to target somebody. So by no means is it uh, completely exclusive in terms of what bullying applies in one industry, but there are some patterns. You said that it's against the law in some states. I wonder what constitutes bullying per se, Philip. Yeah, well, that's a, that's the interesting uh, question that a lot of legislators are trying to address right now. And in reality, just to be clear, it's illegal outside the U.S. in uh, places like Australia or in some provinces in Canada. But in the U.S., John, states are considering right now making it illegal. And oh. one of the issues in the law is you have to be able to identify what crosses the line. Because, frankly, it's pretty simple for an employee to understand that if they drop a nickname based on gender or they create a stereotype based on national origin, that probably violates a policy protecting those groups individuals. But if it's just the conduct itself, it's a moment of ridicule, or of potential intimidation, but there's no protected group involved, it gets a little bit more vague for the employees. So you got to have a lot of good examples if you're going to begin to legislate this and or put it into policies. I wonder if this makes it in the minds of some bosses tough to be the boss, tough to sometimes you do need to um, motivate or be severe. I, I, I don't know. I've never been a manager, but I can see for some businesses or some environments, uh, a kick in the butt is sometimes appropriate. Does this take uh, a tool out of the box for some bosses? Well, it, it can in the sense that if it chills a boss, it makes he or she far less willing to be candid about feedback, direct yeah. about feedback, it can be problematic. And to your point, John, we uh, worked with a company uh, in one of these non-U.S. jurisdictions where they failed to define what bullying included when it came to the manager treating employees differently. And a bunch of employees, seeing the new policy prohibiting bullying, started complaining that their boss was a uncontrollable bully simply because he was being somewhat curt when he refused to extend work deadlines. So that may not have been the best management. We don't know. We'd have to look at the situation. But likely was not a violation of their policy the way they define bullying, but never properly explained to the employees. So it, it's important to define it, and managers can't look at it and say, I'm not going to manage people as a result. At the same time, I imagine there are plenty of bully bosses out there who are getting away with it. Um, and uh, this maybe sounds like a trend that needs to be addressed. Uh, 
best practices? What what does it yeah. look like? You're an effective yeah. manager. You've got control, but you're not going to uh, harass or bully people. What does that look like? Yeah, well, uh, there's there's something you can do on the kind of a micro level, which is when you're giving that feedback because someone's got a course correct, acknowledge what they're doing right. Be clear on the goal so they understand why you are giving them some constructive criticism. And then don't hold back on being clear on what needs to happen and ask for their input. So it becomes collaborative, but you don't have to sort of hold your fire in terms of the clarity of the message. And then globally, on a more macro level, John, it's really important to give everybody the tools to understand not only what might cross the line for this repeated ridicule, ostracizing people, intimidating them. And knowing that we have to step up for one another, whether that means going to a senior manager or knowing what to say in the moment. So there's a number of levels of great strategies, to your point, so managers know how to manage, but don't cross the line themselves. I have in my mind some bullies, and I think they're not capable of reform. This is sort of (laughs) in their DNA, and you are not going to, you know, coach the bully out of the boss. Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, that is a, a reality that applies not only in bullying contexts, but let's say in just plain good attitude towards yeah. the work product yeah. or customer service. This is going to be, if it becomes legislated uh, as a reality, something companies have got to respond to, including giving people the penalties, giving them the, the feedback, and potentially moving them out the door. Because if you let people get away with it, you, in essence, have diminished the value of all your policies. So to your, your question is really a great overall point. Companies got to step up because they have to send the right signal. Is this a problem more with the boss intimidating the employees or just the guys and gals in the shop or in the office being mean to one another? I wonder what the dynamic is most commonly. Well, uh, that's another really important question. If you look at the data that's been collected by the groups that are advocating for what they call the psychological safety or bullying prevention laws, uh, in most cases, though, by certainly not all, a lot of this starts employee to employee. Mm -hmm. And if the company doesn't have the right attitude, approach, commitment to step in and encourage people to step up, it then just grows goes from one person to a group, which is what's called mobbing as opposed to just bullying. But having said that, some managers themselves uh, don't know where to draw the line between clear management and overkill in terms of overreaction to the employee. So there's some of both, but a lot of it starts at the employee-to-employee level. Boy, and you do need an environment that enables a person to report it, that encourages you reporting legitimate abuse. I can see a lot of people putting up with it because they don't want to be the tattletale or be seen as they can't take a joke, right? Yeah, absolutely. Part of it is the idea that people are going to be dealing with a new expectation, which is that they step up. And that includes what you want to say in the moment. So just telling employees to tell one another, hey, man, you're a bully, probably not going to work. Giving employees instead language that is comfortable for them to use that might be related to your your operations. We had a a train company, a transport company, and they use the term, hey, you know, you're you're getting off that respect track. You kind of reroute yourself. Mm -hmm. That works wonders for them. It was a way for people to tell each other in the moment, your conduct is really affecting others negatively 
or, hey, you're heading to risky territory, pull back to a place that we all can uh, agree is, is okay. So that kind of more comfortable language is part of the solution to addressing bullying in the moment. I got to go, but this sounds like one of those HR videos that we watch. Hey, Ted, I think it's time for you to get back on the right track. You're not being nice to Lois over there. But that's kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? That's right. And you and you know what? Whether it's that language or another kind of approach to the verbiage, mm-hmm. find what works in your organization because it can make all the difference. Philip Weiss is the president of SciFarth at Work. That's S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H, SciFarth at Work. We'll talk again, Philip. Thanks. Thanks for having me, John. This might be helpful to business people or people who aren't in business, but have a cell phone or a cable bill or Wi-Fi or Internet service of some sort. A TV channel. How do you watch it? Uh, there's a business in town called Lower Tech Bills, and Harvey Wells is the guy behind that. Hey, Harvey, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Good afternoon to you, sir. This Great is your company. Here. This is your business. It's started as a hobby, and now it's become a business. How long have you been doing this professionally that way? Professionally, about a year. So as a hobby, about two years. What do you mean as a hobby? Well, you know what? When I retired, I was uh, in radio for what my do, whole career. What's your resume? What, give us your broadcast resume. Quickly, I was on the air in Chicago radio for about seven years, and then, as I mentioned off mic, the, uh, I, I realized that uh, at the time, salespeople drove better cars than on-air people. <laughs> so I switched over to sales and then became sales manager manager and general manager of several radio stations in this market. We know your name for XRT. Right. The score and US 99 and WCKG. And Dan Maxfield. And my domestic partner, Annie. Yep. (laughs) Who is our traffic reporter and personality for years. Yep. So I didn't know you were doing this. Yeah. You know what? As I, I mentioned also, uh, when you're working, you kind of just get those kinds of bills, your internet TV, your uh, your cable. streaming bills, yeah. cable, cell, and you pay them. And you don't think a lot, a lot about it. And it just is, comes an annuity for the companies. It's a monthly expense. And what I realized when I retired is I now found myself with the time to really dig into it. And uh, my tagline is, you may not have the time, but I do, at being retired, I can look at that now, and did, and realized by digging, I saved half my billing costs per month, almost $4,000 a year on my particular bills. What surprised you? What surprised me was hidden costs that are there, that when you really dig into the bill, it's kind of the nine-point typeface, the small print you get charged, and not every company does this, but there's franchise fees, there's taxes, there's local sports channel fees, there's local broadcasting fees. There's so many fees hidden in some of these bills that when you take them apart, you realize that that $100 a month cable bill is actually closer to $170 a month. So how do you get around that? I mean, you're going to have cable, right? Is your strategy cut services or is there a way to keep the services generally but cut the costs? My strategy is to look at everybody individually because everybody has a different company that they deal with. And once I look at the bills, I can tell within maybe five minutes if I can save them money or not. Oftentimes what happens is, for example, with television streaming, there's, uh, you can get Companies say, well, you can get up to 120 channels a month. Great. Or in, in your cable. Uh, and it turns out that the average monthly amount of channels that a person watches is maybe eight or nine. So it's great to say I've got 120 channels. 
Uh, but if you're only watching eight or nine of them, what are your must-have channels? And once I find out your must-have channels, then we can dig into it and say, okay, you're paying too much for this service, or you shouldn't be doing this, because why, why pay for something you don't need? You know, it's frustrating to me is I want all the local stations, of course, but right. that's usually there with any package. And then I want a flight of sports stations that are not included in the first or even second tier. Right. So I end up having to either subscribe to certain platforms or services or pay more for a cable bill. I don't want the 600 channels I'm getting along the right. way, but I've got to up the ante to get to what I want. And there are tricks there, too, John. For example, I love the NFL Red Zone. Okay, I can't live without it. It's every touchdown from every game. Well, it turns out that you can subscribe to the NFL Red Zone, and the day the season ends, turn it off. Because you're paying 11 to $15 a month for the tier that the Red Zone's on, and then when the season starts again, you resubscribe to it. I These are little things. I thought you paid $100 a year for that. No, 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 no. For the Red Zone, there are sports packages that are add-ons to cable packages or to streaming. Because we've really got to separate cable versus streaming. Those are two different things that, that basically do the same thing. Well, do you recommend that I be one or the other? Or should most people, can most people economize having both the cable and the streaming services? Yes, but streaming comes in two flavors, okay? One streaming is your single channels like Netflix and Hulu and Prime. The other flavor is a, cable, is a streaming service that acts like a cable system. Which would be? Which would be like YouTube, YouTube TV, TV, DirecTV Stream, uh, Sling. Those act like cable. And if you put together those two things, you can save a lot of money. And again, let's say you like one show. Let's say you love Succession and you, and you watch Max. It's on Max. When you're done with it, turn it off. And you can always resubscribe. There are no contracts anymore. So you can subscribe and resubscribe and unsubscribe at will. That sounds like work, but I guess... I don't, you might not have the time, but I do. <laughs> so you would recommend to me, all right, you wanted to watch Succession. When that series is over, of course, Max or... Yeah, I mean, I, they're going to throw another show at totally, you that you're going totally. to want. I don't but, know that I'm going to turn it on and exactly. off. Exactly. But, but it's, more, it's more apropos with sports. Like I say, if you like football and you want the Red Zone channel, why would you pay for the Red Zone channel this time of year? There's no football on. Do people do that? Are they not realizing that oh, yeah. they're churning $11 out the window every oh, yeah. month? Yeah, but and that's just little things. With Internet, that's changed dramatically over the last uh, year. All of the cell phone providers now offer 5G Internet. So I'm paying $30 a month for my Internet when two years ago I was paying closer to $150 a month. And again, it's just knowing whether that Internet's available where you live and then learning how to use it. And so part of the service that I do is not only telling people how to save money, but also teaching them. What I realized early on in this is that I can tell you all day if I can save you money, but if you have what I call FOC, which is fear of change, uh, and I blog a lot and I have one blog that says that's called What the Foc? And, and it's basically my parents having a VCR in 1986 that flashed 12 until the day they moved to Florida. Because when you're in of a certain age, you just have a certain amount of bandwidth. So I realized early on I had to teach you, not only show you, but teach you how to use this stuff. And it's not rocket science. It's easy. Oh, you said that. I did. <laughs> I don't think most people would agree with that. I think people are overwhelmed 
by the difference between Hulu and Sling and cable and and Netflix and what is the integration right. of those and what's the integration of those to maximize right. my economy. And I would agree with you. That's why I know I have to hold a person's hand because once they learn how to do it, it's like anything else. It's do, pretty easy. Do, but the it is is what? Like, do it. It's the technology. It's, it's learning how to use a remote control to and in the TV world to to be able to download uh, YouTube TV and then just use it. You, you download YouTube TV. You mentioned that twice. So right. do you I think like you, YouTube TV. You, YouTube TV like is a, a good way to watch all the shows you want to watch. Yes, it's it 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 basically acts like a cable company. It allow you you've heard the term cut the cord a million times. Okay, cutting the cord simply means getting rid of that cord that's attached to your TV. And what YouTube TV or DirecTV Stream or Sling there's about five or six of them out there that basically act like a cable. System. Are there things you won't get because you're using Sling or YouTube? Uh, yeah. Well, again, it goes back to how many channels do you want? What are your must-have channels? I have a client assessment form that I always share with a person before uh, I go in there, and I know what your must-have channels are. If oh, you that's love sports, a good idea. If right, you love going. sports and, and you need ESPN, I know that I need to sign you up for a service that has ESPN. Last week, I went with a client who couldn't care less about sports. I knew at that point, why pay for that if they don't need it? So if I came to you, you would say, what do you want to watch? First question, what are your must-have channels? And would that include um, streaming services like Netflix and That's and a Apple separate Plus? question, but that, yes, the client I mean, assessment because you got to know yes, that, too. Absolutely. All right. So, the, yes. Uh, okay, that is smart. Uh, we're talking to Harvey Wells. Lower Tech Bills is his business. Right. LowerTechBills.com. LowerTechBills.com is his website. I'm amazed you were able to get that. I actually built my own website. That was a... That was yeah, but how did you get the URL? That had to cost you a fortune. Uh, it cost me $3. Somebody... Nobody had it. As recently as two years ago had yeah, not claimed nobody that? Nobody had it. I should have bought that and sold it to you. <laughs> Uh, okay. I would have bought it. We haven't talked. <laughs> we haven't talked about cell service, right. so phone service. Let's right. talk about that in a minute too. Sure enough. Uh, you got a question? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. It's twelve forty five. More business news with Steve Grzanich. Time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. A new study shows Illinois' film credit has had an impressive economic impact on the state. From 2012 to 2022, Illinois averaged about $400 million in direct production business and billions in other economic benefits. The study shows the state had a $6.81 return on investment for every dollar Illinois spent on the tax break. It also shows the production investment would largely not occur if it weren't for the tax credit. The study found that a whopping 94% of the production would go elsewhere if the tax credit didn't exist. Suburban office vacancy has hit 30.2%. The figure jumped in the fourth quarter compared to the third quarter when it was at 29.7%. The data comes from real estate broker Jones Ling LaSalle. The office vacancy rate has climbed for the past 12 quarters. It was just 22% when the pandemic began. Remote work has proliferated since the start of COVID. As a result, there's been a steady trend of companies scaling back office space. I'm Steve Brzezanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. From the farm to your belly, today is National Croissant Day. <laughs> or if you want to sound authentically French about it. Croissant. The T at the end of croissant is definitely silent, so do not say croissant. 
but rather croissant. Okay, croissant. I'm Steve. Croissant. Croissant. Yes, sir, croissant. we got it. Thank you. I, I'm Steve Alexander, and that's the business of food on 720 WGN. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN. We're talking to Harvey Wells. You may know that name from his career as a broadcaster and broadcast manager in Chicago, but now he runs something called Lower Tech Bills. LowerTechBills.com is his website. Thank you, sir. Your clients are principally uh, residential or business clients? Residential, and uh, at this point, because I live in the north suburbs, most of them are in the north suburbs. You assess people's cable, internet, and cell phone use, and then make recommendations Correct. I have a client assessment form, and, and once I find out what your current services are, things like how many cell phones do you own, do you care about unlimited data, uh, do you have a need for speed? Uh, what's your internet service now? Do you now? game, I suppose. Exactly. Do you have a gamer living in your house? And if you have a gamer in your house, chances are you don't need me because they the know The gamer this will stuff. know. Okay, yeah. but what's the best cell phone carrier? There is no answer to that. I hate to say it because it really depends upon your current provider and what you are getting. There are a lot of reasons to switch providers. Really? And the reason you they want you to switch and they give you perks to do that is because you become an annuity. Once you're switched, most people don't want to switch again. Let's face it, it's not a fun thing. Uh, Some people would rather go to the dentist. And you don't know if making the switch is actually a good deal for you in the long run. Unless you have someone like me who can sit down with you and go, okay, how much are you paying each month? I want to see everything, your taxes. I want to see your fees. I want to see how many phones you have. I want to see what your data is. And a lot of people don't realize that they need to see that stuff. Here in Chicago, it would be AT&T, T-Mobile. And, and Verizon. And Verizon. So I right. would probably one of those three. And then you can, uh, what I call the, the, uh, the people that are, that, that are pitching, the, the celebrity pitch people. People like Jim Gaffigan for Simple. People who are like Ryan Reynolds for Mint. People like Ted Danson for Consumer Cellular. These are third-party companies that lease their towers from the big three. And they say they save you money. Do they save money? They can can, but you are going to lose some things by uh, by using them. If I'm principally texting and phone calling, right. maybe I watch a video from right. my kids, but I'm using my phone like a texting device. Right. Maybe I check email right. and, and my phone. Right. Who do you like? Well, uh, if you're over the age of 55 or you're an AARP member or you're a first responder, then I would suggest you look into T-Mobile simply because they have a 55-plus plan that others don't. Now, if you're tech-savvy, then I would uh, look at one of the Mint Mobiles or consumer cellulars. And, and then again, it really depends on your age and, and what you have do for a living. Steve, you're on WGN Radio. Can we help you out? I don't have a lot of time here, but what's your question? Hi, Steve. Are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, so my question is, uh, internet providers. Sure. Um, right now, I have Comcast. I'm on the what outside of the city limits, but okay. I'm getting I'm getting all these phone calls from all these other places. Right now, it's cable internet, right. but they're offering you know cheaper service, cheaper service. But I want to be able to stream without hiccups. Okay. What What's the best? If you live at an address where either one of the big three, ATT, Verizon, or T-Mobile, offer internet, 5G internet, where you live, I highly suggest you use it. I currently have uh, one of them. I won't uh, give who it is. I have a gamer that comes to my house. He doesn't live with me, but he's there often. We stream a lot. 
I'm paying $30 a month for my internet. When I was before, uh, for a certain company that rhymes with bombast, I was paying probably $120 a month. And so this 5G internet really works if it's available where you live. If it's not? If it's not, then you're going to have to find a way for these guys to get 5G where you are, because it's a game changer for internet. Really? Totally. Is 10G different than 5G? 10G is a marketing term. It's not it's that a, much different. It's not even, it's apples and oranges. Somebody at the cable company said, hey, I got an idea. If 5G is good, let's just double it. But it's, it has, it's nothing to do with the technology that 5G is. Do you get into, is a Apple phone, is a, is a uh, Apple phone much better or different than a Samsung phone? It's a different ecosystem. Uh, I find that people are very loyal to their Android or Apple, and I don't get into that. If you want to be Apple, be Apple. If you want to be Android, be Android. Either way, you can use either of the three providers. Totally. So yeah. it doesn't really yeah. matter in that case. Absolutely. Whether you want to use one of the three or go to one of the third parties. I'm out of time. You know what? We're just getting started. But I appreciate you. Uh, if you, you want to email me for free look at your bills, hmwellsradio at gmail.com. The website is lowertechbills.com. Yes. And what you just said was? hmwellsradio at gmail.com. Okay, Harvey. Nice to, nice to see you. Thanks for coming Great in. Great being here. Anytime.